Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. These are the very words that the crowds yelled out as Jesus rode on a donkey into the streets of Jerusalem through what we call the East Gate, through the Sheep Gate, from the fields towards the place of Bethlehem where the sacrificial lambs were prepared for sacrifice at the temple. This is the moment we come to this Sunday, which we refer to as Palm Sunday. Blessed is the name of who comes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means, oh, save, oh, save. People in this time, they were desperate. The Israelites, the Jewish population in Jerusalem under the rule of the iron fist of the Roman Empire, calling out to God, oh, save us. Hosanna, our God who has come to save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who comes in the name of Jehovah our God. Blessed is he, the Messiah, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We'll read here in a minute, and you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry. They took off their coats. They laid down the coats on the road. They cut palm branches from the fields, and they began to lay them out, and they began to worship this coming king through the streets of Jerusalem, yelling, Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, these last few weeks, if you've been following with us on our, our online church experiences, we've been talking about the book of Judges. We heard some crazy stories of death. We heard some crazy stories of battles being won, thousands of people being slayed by armies of only 300 people. We've seen incredible stories of courage. We've seen incredible stories of, of, of cowardice. <laughs> Talk about Gideon defeating armies of thousands of 300 men, and he was a coward. He didn't even have the faith to believe at first that God would choose to use him, and yet we see God do an extraordinary thing through him. We see a young man by the name of Samson, which we talked about a few weeks ago, had incredible power of God, had the incredible spirit of God to give him incredible strength and power. And yet it all went to his head and he used it for his own benefit and glory. And somehow through that chaos, somehow through this, this incredible moment of selfishness, God uses him to bring freedom to the Israelites for a season. All throughout the book of Judges, we see extraordinary events, extraordinary circumstances, we see extraordinary things be accomplished through the hands of men, but really through the power of the Spirit of God. We've seen the fact that only God can bring true deliverance. Repeated again and again and again through the book of Judges, we see this phrase pop up. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they had no king. And they had no king. We jump in a few chapters later, get to the end of Judges, we head into Samuel, and we see as Samuel is called to be a prophet, we see the people cry out to God and to say to Samuel, give us a king, let us be like the other nations, give us a king. 
and a king shows up. God provides a king. He says, okay, here is a man that you have deemed worthy by your standards to be your king. But just know this. It is my desire as your God to be your king. I am the one that wants to be your king. And you are choosing a mere mortal. You are choosing a man. But he honors their request and he gives them a king. And Saul, things go really good. Things go really good at the beginning. And then they start to just dive. And then they dive. We're going to go into this history another time. And then we see King David, who also, great moments for the kingdom of Israel. They rise up, they take more land than they've ever had before. They have great seasons. His son Solomon eventually becomes king and they build the most gorgeous, beautiful temple. The Lord gives them instructions and Solomon builds an amazing temple, a place for the presence of God to reside. And then we see his kingship eventually plummet as well. And they go on this up and down journey once again throughout their history of following God and stepping back. Following God and stepping back. We see this back and forth, this back and forth. They want a king. They don't want a king. They want to serve God. They don't want to serve God. I want to do what God wants. I want to do what I want. This last series, I really hope that you've been challenged. I really pray that you've been challenged to seek what is true, what is good, what is noble, and what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Not what everyone else is doing, not whatever feels good I want to do, but whatever seems right to the eyes of the Lord, that's what I want for my life. That is what I want for your life. That is what I want for our church, for us to humbly come to the Lord and say, help us do what is right in your eyes. You are the king of my life. You are the king of my heart. I surrender to you, O Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus. Oh, save us, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Last week, my wife Elizabeth, my favorite preacher, just an incredible speaker, just took us straight into what I call the deep end of the pool and just brought us in a real beautiful moment. And kind of the crazy story, right? We, we, see, we see this young man take the enemy into the tent and he says, keep watch over the tent. And as he falls asleep out of exhaustion and tiredness, we see this beautiful picture of her taking a tent peg and a hammer and driving it deep through his temple into the ground. What an amazing, beautiful story, right? These are the kinds of words and things that my wife speaks about. But she gives us the example. What, is this, what does this represent? Well, we know that the tent represents the sanctuary, the place that God has ordained for us to meet with him. The tent represents the sanctuary and that spike and that hammer represent the word of God. They represent the truth of who God is, the truth of God's word. And of course, we see that Sisera is the enemy. And we see that truth of God pierce the skull and temple of the enemy and drive it and bury it and kill it. That enemy becomes dead in the presence of God. And the picture for us today is that we know the word tells us that we don't have to go to a place. We don't have to meet in a building. We don't have to go to a church, a temple. We don't have to make a big, uh, a big journey or pilgrimage somewhere. But the sanctuary, the temple of God becomes our own bodies, becomes our own souls. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to take residence. The life of Jesus wants to take residence inside of us. 
He wants to take that word of truth, that word of God, and he wants to drive it deep into us and kill the sin that exists, the enemy that influences our lives. He wants to take that away from us because our, our bodies are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's to be the sanctuary where God's presence resides. God wants to have a home in your heart. And as we discover, as we read today's story from, from the triumphal entry of Jesus entering Jerusalem, it was all for one purpose. He came in such a mighty, glorious, passionate way, simply to get put to death. While the crowds celebrated, Jesus knew the moment he entered Jerusalem, his life would be in danger. He knew that the moments that were coming that week, just how intense things would get. And yet he willingly rode on the back of that donkey in to Jerusalem. Maybe this is not the kind of message you were expecting on this Sunday morning, uh, but I hope that you have a greater understanding about our Heavenly Father. I hope that this series has helped you realize that you were created to be in relationship with God. I hope that it's pushed you to trust Him just a little bit more. I pray it has challenged you to do more and to give more than you ever have before. No matter how skilled you are, no matter how competent you think we are, we have to believe that only Abba, only God, only our Heavenly Father can save us. It doesn't matter how poor you seem to be, how weak you feel that you are, how incompetent or how unworthy we feel. God can make all things new. God can do the impossible. God can use the weak to lead the strong. And here's a little secret he often does. We are all in need of the work of God. We are all in need of Jesus in our lives. One of the biggest barriers that people face is in coming to God is either they think that they're too good, they're too wealthy, they're too rich, they're too powerful. They don't think that they need God. The other flip of that coin is some of us, we feel that we're too unworthy, that we are somehow not good enough to come to the presence of God. It's only when we realize, regardless of our past, regardless of our position, regardless of our finances, regardless of who we are, where we come from, is that we all are in need of a Savior. We are all in need of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We are all in need of a Messiah because the problem that you and I face, it doesn't matter our social status. It doesn't matter our cultural background. It doesn't matter in what country we were born in. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter how big or how small our bank accounts are. It doesn't matter what kind of car we drive. It doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter what gender we are. We all have a need for a savior. We all have this same problem that each and every one of us has to deal with. And that problem is labeled as sin. It's that feeling inside of us that, that you know, it's that thing that we want to do, but we know we shouldn't. It's, it's following that feeling and following through on those feelings of doing the things we want to do, even though we know we shouldn't. It's doing the things that do not bring glory, that are not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And it tells us as well that the wages of sin is death. 
The price of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Today, maybe you weren't expecting this kind of a message, but I want to tell you that the hope that we need is on its way. In fact, it's already here. Hosanna, O God, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. O save us. Let's read from Mark chapter 11, 1 to 11. You can find this one in the book of Luke as well, by the way. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a coat, a colt, tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord is in need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went and found a colt tied outside the door in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had said, and to let the, told them what Jesus had said, and let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat down on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, and they had cut from the fields. And those went before, and those followed, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Again, you can read this story in the book of Luke. And he says the exact same thing. And Jesus gives him the exact same instructions. It says, blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of of the Lord, and you can go over to John, I believe it's chapter 19. No, it's chapter 11. Nope, <laughs> I should have bookmarked it. Here we go, back it up, back it up, back it up a little bit more. Here we go, John chapter 11. This is why you bookmark things in your Bible, everybody. And I didn't do it this time. 12, there we go. Chapter 12, not 11. And it tells us, it says, The next day the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey's colt. And then you can go on again and read that as well. Now, this is a significant moment. And if you want to know a little bit more about some of the background, I would say go back to last year's message. I believe it was March 29th of 2020. You can find it online. And we go a little bit more in the depth. Of, of, of some of the circumstances that are taking place here. But here's what we want to understand in light of this series that we've been through today. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they had no king. In this moment, we see that the king has finally arrived. 
The king that they've been searching for, the king that they've been waiting for, has finally arrived. This is what they thought, though. Their expectations did not meet what Jesus came to do. They had unmet expectations, is probably the better way to say it. This is who they thought Jesus should be. They thought that he would restore Israel nationally and rule the nations. They were patriots. They were wanting to rise up in a military fashion. They looked back to the days of Samson, who, by the way, is such a sad, incredible story. The moment that his hair is cut and he doesn't even realize that the Spirit of God has left him. He's so arrogant that he doesn't even know that the Spirit of God left him. But they're looking for that great victory of Gideon, who slayed with an army of 300, he slayed thousands. They're looking for the conqueror like Joshua, who took the Holy Land, the Promised Land, and they, city by city, they went through and they started to establish the people. They were looking for great victories. And yet that's not what Jesus came to do. What they failed to understand was that the purpose of Jesus was coming to bring spiritual salvation and establish the kingdom and rule in the hearts of the people. Not in the government, not in the political landscape, but in the hearts of the people. We find out within a week that this crowd quickly turns on Jesus. They were misguided and had unmet expectations and later demanded the same crowd that yelled Hosanna a week later yelled crucify. They wanted the glory when in truth it is always God who gets the glory. They wanted to be the ones that were in the army and rise up with Jesus and get the glory. But we know and we learn that only Jesus gets the glory. Only God gets the glory. God wants to save his people. God wants to save you. He actually wanted to die for you. You keep reading and we see that the next thing Jesus does is he cleans the temple. He and his holiness, he longs for holiness and righteousness. He doesn't want sin to be a burden in your life. He doesn't want sin to overcome the temple of God. The very place where the presence of God was supposed to be had been defiled. The money changers had come in and we see an anger rise up in Jesus because he sees that the, the sin of the world has infiltrated the very place where the presence of God is supposed to reside. He doesn't want that for your life. He doesn't want your heart to be plagued and burdened with sin. He wants you to walk in freedom and in holiness. The, the disciples learn that Jesus, as he tells them, that he will be put to death. And they look at this as a tragedy. They get nervous. They get scared. They get weary. They, they don't know how to handle this. And they're expecting a tragedy. And yet Jesus is saying, no, this isn't a tragedy. I have come to die. That is my purpose. I have come to die. This is my moment. But I did not come to stay dead. They predict tragedy, and Jesus says, no, this is not tragedy. This is the moment of glory. This is the moment where God's glory will be revealed. His death is imminent, imminent, but the holy power of God is about to come and do something absolutely outstanding and incredible. The power of God is about to do something outstanding and incredible. God is about to be glorified in a way that he's never had his glory revealed before. 
God will provide freedom. God will provide righteousness. God is coming to cleanse and prepare the land that is your heart. He is coming to set his people free. He has given his life for people because that is what kings do. I titled this message today, That's What Kings Do. And this is exactly what a good king does. He has come to clean your heart. He has come to give his life for you. Many times in Judges we read, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they had no king. But the king has finally come. The king has entered Jerusalem. He has begun the process. Maybe you, this is, this is where you are in your walk with Jesus right now. Maybe Jesus has been knocking on the door. Maybe he's been entering into your life. Maybe you've opened the gates and you've let him to come in. And now he is saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Let me take your sin as I go and let me put your sin to death the way that I laid my life down for you. Let me create a holiness. Let me cleanse your heart. Let me cleanse your life. Let me bring you a freedom that you've never experienced before. Maybe that's where you're at in your journey today. Are you ready to let the Lord search your heart? Are you ready to let God look at your heart? Are you ready to say, God, I want to do what is right, what is pleasing, what is good in your eyes? I don't want to just do what feels good. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. But God, I want to do what is pleasing to you. I encourage you to take a moment of faith. Take a step of faith and make that decision. Say, Pastor Gary, I'm ready. I'm ready to let God take the place of king of my heart. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I don't want to do what I used to do. God, I want to follow you. If you want to make that decision today, I want to encourage you to type that in the comments. If you want to make it more private, send me a message. I'm going to put a link in the comments right now saying, I want to follow Jesus. Just put that in the comments right now. If you are ready to make that decision or you just want to affirm, if maybe you already made that decision, say, I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be the king of my heart. I want Jesus to bring cleansing to my soul today. Don't ignore Jesus when he shows up in your life. Maybe he's been knocking on the door for a long time. Maybe he's entered in a long time ago and you've just never responded. Don't let another Palm Sunday, another Easter Sunday, don't let another day go by. Take this opportunity. Don't ignore Jesus when he shows up in your life. Even when he comes in ways that you never expected. Even when life takes a turn that you never expected it to turn. When life deals you the hand of cards you never thought you'd have to play. Don't let the moment pass you by. Let me pray for you this morning. Dear God, I thank you that you never let us down. Lord, that you have remained faithful, that you did exactly what you said you would do, that you would make a way when there was no way. God, even though as you rode that donkey, Jesus, into town on the way to your death, Lord, even though as people called out Hosanna and blessed is the name of the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, even though you knew Lord, that it was going to lead to your death. Lord, you faithfully marched through that city. Even though those people didn't understand why you came, Lord, you faithfully went to the cross for us. I pray, Lord, during this holy week, as we enter this passion week, Lord, that our hearts would be humbled. 
Lord, that we would have hearts that are softened towards you. Would you help us, oh God, in this season, in this moment now? Lord, for those of us that are ready to make a decision, God, we pray that we would have the courage to take a step of faith and to trust you with our souls, to trust you with our very beings, Lord, from the inside. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, as Samson didn't even know the Spirit left, I pray that we would know that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would have just an overwhelming joy and confidence that you are here, O oh God. Pray that as your Spirit comes, it would cleanse us, Lord. It would make us whole. It would make us holy. Lord, it would give us a desire to do what is right in your eyes. That we would just love serving you. We would love praising you. That we would love doing what is so, so good, O oh God. I just praise you in Jesus' name. We pray today. Amen. Amen. Maybe God be glorified for he has set you free. We continue to believe and pray that the spirit of God would reside with you, that your body would continue to be a temple that brings praises to God. We honor him. We give him glory because he is the king over our lives. Let his Holy Spirit continue to do a work in you and watch how God not only cleanses your life, but watch how he uses you to do incredible and mighty things for his kingdom. This is an incredible week for us to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, for the price that he has paid for us. This coming Friday is Good Friday, and it is a good day. It's not a day of tragedy, but it's a day to begin the process of celebrating the goodness, the grace, and the glory of God. For a time is coming where God is going to open up the floodgates and pour out his spirit and do incredible things in you and through you. God bless. Mm -hmm.